And I felt the tangible presence of God. And I said, wow, God is really a good father. And I didn't grow up, you know, knowing that type of love because in my mind, I've done so many bad things. How could a good God love someone like me? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, we are here to bring you the stories of how Jesus became real to everyday people and changed their lives. Disciple of City exists to equip believers to share the gospel and make disciple-making disciples. You can learn more at everydisciplesent.ca. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and follow along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. Now on with the show. My guest today grew up in Michigan in an Amish community. She ran away at 18 to chase the American dream. But something would be missing from that chase, and it was five years ago she would discover what that was. Now she's heading to Dubai, the Philippines, and Ethiopia with a one-way ticket. Let's welcome Sarah Grace. Hey, hey, thank you so much, Todd, for having me on here. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to it's great to finally meet you. I'm glad you could come on with us today and, and talk about your adventures. Yeah, exciting. So right now you're not in Michigan and you were living in North Dakota, but now you're you're in California. That is correct. Yeah. I'm just here in California for a couple of days. So um yeah. Just gearing up to fly out on a massive mission trip yes that is correct on a great adventure with jesus amen (laughs) (laughs) amen so let's uh let's roll back that clock and and hear about how that began um growing up in in michigan in an in the amish community can you talk about what that was like a little bit yeah so for those that don't know the amish community has um so they're they're like a religion that has many different denominations within it. Uh, so when you hear some people, when they hear Amish, they think of a TV show that they've seen or uh, they think of somebody they saw at the store. Um, but I grew up in one of the strictest communities there are with lots and lots of rules. Um, I remember learning more about what I can't do than what I can do growing up. I knew more about hell than I knew about Jesus. And so, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't all bad. I I have a lot of really great memories. I learned how to cook well. I learned how to sew. I learned, I learned so many great things that I feel like is becoming a lost art in today's culture, to be honest. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And I learned how to work hard. Um, one of my favorite memories, somebody was just asking me this question, like, what is one of your favorite memories growing up? And I would have to say being outside on the farm, learning beside my dad, how to, um, how to work the ground in the fields and how to take care of the animals. That was probably one of my, my favorite things is just learning from my dad, everything I know about farming. I learned from my dad, um, had, you know, great time with him in the field, uh, in the, on, on the farm, whatever. And so, Along with that, you know, there's there's lots of rules that we had to follow everything from the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we cook our food. Everything had a rule of how to do it. Um, 
And, you know, by the time I was 14 years old, I started questioning that, like, is this all there is? And do we have to do it like this? You know, I started asking my mom lots of questions, drove her crazy, of course. Uh, you know, mom, why, why do we have, why does my dress have to be this length? Why does my, why do I have to have my cap this way? Um, why can't I do this or why can't I do this? And, and she never really had an explanation for it. The only answer most of the time that I got was because that's what our parents taught us. So tradition and the bishop says so, or go ask the bishop, which is religion. And so the whole basis of this community is tradition and religion. Right. And yeah. So it's, it, it reminds me a lot of the Pharisees in the Bible, <laughs> you know, the ones that actually ended up killing Jesus is you're not following our tradition or you're not following the Jewish law. And so we have to get rid of you. And so if you don't follow along with the rules, if you don't go by what they tell you to do, then you get excommunicated, basically. So um, I've always found it like the Amish community fascinating, like there's an intrigue to it because you know, you see people sometimes or where I live, there are some communities around and you see people, but it's not like you, you get to go there or right. So there's an intrigue to it. Um, obviously f reading the Bible, right. They follow, they follow the Christian Bible. So what, what, uh, what do you now know? Are they missing from the Bible or how do they teach about Jesus? Well, I think the biggest problem is that, so they, their Bible is all in German, Bibles, hymn books, prayer books, everything is in German. And my, my native tongue is Pennsylvania Dutch, which is different than German. So when we went to school, we learned the, the German alphabets, we learned the words, we learned how to, how to read it. But the problem is we didn't understand some of what the words meant. All that mattered was that we knew how to read it and but we didn't understand how to how to really understand all of it. So, you know, you have you have a long word and you have an English dictionary to go and see what does this word mean? But we didn't have that with the German. We didn't have a German uh, dictionary. We didn't really have even anybody to explain to us what the word means. I remember specifically asking my mom about like a certain line in a hymn book, mom, what does this mean? And she couldn't give me an answer and it's not her fault. You know, she, she didn't know either, yeah. but, but it's just an example of when you don't understand how to read your Bible or how to understand it, like, you know how to read it, but you don't know how to understand it. It leaves a lot of room for misinterpretation. So was there, was there like Sunday services, like church where somebody would lead and, and teach or preach or what did that look like? Yes. Sunday services. There was never a, a time where you sit down with a small group and you discuss the Bible. That was actually forbidden, you know, kind of sad to, to say that, but when, because when people did that, they, un, they started, began to understand the Bible more because you ask questions and, and you dig deeper and you learn more which then people began to find the truth about who Jesus really was and that religion isn't id or the way that they're doing things isn't necessarily per the Bible. So then they go against the church, right? Like, hey, 
the Bible says this, why are we doing this? And so then they get uh, back, you know, um, what do you call that? Like resistance from that. And they're very much discouraged from sitting down, having a small group Bible study, but a Sunday morning you have uh, three, I think three different, there's a deacon, a preacher, a bishop, uh, and they will get up in front of everybody. And it's kind of like a pastor here, you know, in the, in the English church. Um, but they read everything from memory and then you can't really understand a lot of it either because they're reciting it in German. So you have little kids who only know Pennsylvania Dutch. They don't understand a single thing that is being said. Because they're just speaking, you're in the service and they're just speaking it in German. Right, exactly. So, and then they do have a time when one guy will stand up and he will read from the New Testament. That's another thing. In the church, there is no Bible. It's only the New Testament. And so they will use the New Testament. They will read a scripture They won't explain it or anything. They just read verbatim whatever scripture is given for that day. And they will read that out of the German New Testament. And, you know, everybody's just expected to sit and listen. And that's it. It's a very boring church service, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) As far as you know, is that very similar in those communities across the across the U.S., as far as you know, or or you I said there was different denominations, so perhaps things are different in other communities. They're they're pretty similar for the most part. The difference that it goes from one community to the next is the rules, the way they enforce the rules. For for example, um, in one community, I have to you know cover all of my hair, it, my cap has to come all the way head covering. It has to come all the way to the front in the next community. Oh, they can show some hair or the dresses can be shorter or it's, it's the small little things that in my mind are so dumb, but it makes them different because so going back a little bit, the way the Amish community started was because in the Mennonite church, there were elders that couldn't agree on how to discipline someone when they did something. So there, there was a split and Jacob Amon was among the group that didn't agree with the Mennonite church and him and a bunch of his, his followers who agreed with him left the Mennonite church and started the Amish church. So the way the Amish church started was between was how to enforce the rules And now within the Amish community, the way there are different denominations is the way to enforce the rules, basically. Like, oh, we don't agree with having short dresses. Okay, well, we're just going to leave and have our own community where we can have shorter dresses. Um, It's kind of strange how that works. Well, yeah, and it's also very interesting because if you go back in time, too, so was the division and creation of denominations of Christianity, right? Yep, different exactly. denominations. Um, what, your family, brothers and sisters, how big is your family? I have seven siblings, two brothers, and um, there's two boys and five, uh, six girls. Can't do math. And where, <laughs> and where do you fall in that? What number? I'm number three. I'm the third one in the family. Three. So what kind of exposure would you have, have gotten to the rest of, you know, your, your area, like, cause there's no TV and stuff like that. Correct. 
Right. Yeah. So how, how would you get exposed to know that there was something else out there that sort of made you curious or whatnot? Yeah. Well, um, some people think that people that don't live around the Amish community, they think that the community is all in one geographical area. It's not. They're spread out and we had non-Amish neighbors. And so uh, the reason it's called a community is because they only associate for the most part with each other. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the way that I had is, you know, we had non-Amish neighbors. Um, We were allowed to go to the store. I saw non-Amish people there. I could hear the music over the loudspeakers and you know, being in so so when we went from one state to the next, we used the bus. And so in the bus stations, there's TVs. I remember specifically being in the bus station and I'm watch because I'm so intrigued by the TV. Right. And I'm watching it. And my aunt goes, hey, read your book. Stop looking at that. You know, and she kept like pushing me or, you know, nudging me and saying, stop looking at it. But I'm just like so fascinated by this TV. <laughs> um, so I had, I was able to see the rest of America, like what, what it looks like, but it wasn't something I was able to touch basically. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. When you hear the word community, that's what you think that it's sort of maybe a geographical area. So that's, that, that's interesting. Um, you had said, or, or perhaps it was in a video that I saw of you, um, that there's, they talk about other countries, not in a good way, or that they teach right. you that other countries are, can you explain that? That they're Yeah. So it, for me, it's interesting because I don't remember s- distinctively somebody coming up to me and telling me, Hey, don't go to another country. It's bad. But it was the way it was talked about and hearing different remarks, I guess, I was under the impression that other countries are bad. There's only war. People just fight with each other. Uh, it, it's just not a peaceful place to go to. And and because the Amish don't believe in fighting, they don't believe in war. They don't believe that that's something they should be a part of or that it's okay. And so they don't, they don't want to go in an area where in their minds, that's all they do. And for example, like, I was, I believe Jaina is underneath, underneath me. Like if I dig down far enough, I'm going to be able to see Jaina. Well, you don't want to go to China. China is awful. It's horrible. It's really bad. And so that was just kind of the perception that I had. Um, and, and I mean, first of all, we're not allowed to fly in planes. That's in an, in and of itself. That's a sin. You're not allowed to get on a plane and fly. And so even to go to some of these other countries would have practically been impossible. Right. Wow. So did you talk about your questions with your, with your siblings, like the ones that were closer to your age? Did, did your brothers and sisters have similar thoughts and feelings? Like, did you have discussions with them before you left? Um, not a whole lot. It was just kind of, it got to the point where, don't ask questions because I learned over and over and over when I ask a question and you don't get an answer. Eventually you just say, well, I guess I'm not going to get an answer. So you just kind of settle for, well, this is just how it is. And this is how it's always going to be. I know we talked, you know, I talked with my cousins, with my siblings. We, we talked different things about ourselves amongst ourselves, but not necessarily in the form of, well, I wonder if this would be right. It was more of a, 
you know what, I'm going to leave the Amish one day. And we talked about what that would look like, but it wasn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, is this right? Is there another way? It, it didn't really lead to conversations like that. Uh, it was more of a rebellious form of conversations. Yeah. Okay. So what, uh, what eventually transpired that made you want to leave? Or what was so, sort of when you made that decision? Because 18, yeah. well, I guess not that 18's too, too young, but that's a big deal to split right. from what you right. know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I thought about it for a whole year before I actually had the guts to leave. Um, I, I just got tired of the way the church operated, even though I wasn't a member of the church, which by the way, if you're not a member of the church, you're not allowed to know the insides of it. So sound kind of cultish. Um, they actually are, in my opinion, I think they are a cult, but, uh, whatever happens within the church, all the rules, the way they do everything, you're not allowed to be a part of unless you become a member of the church. And so I hadn't been a member of the church, but I could see just from the outside how they treat people. You know, one family can do something and completely like get ignored, get get it, go, get away with it. And then you have another family who does the exact same thing and they're ridiculed and they're punished for it. And so I just couldn't deal. Like, I, I didn't like the hypocrisy. I thought it was wrong. I I didn't like, and of course, my family was one that got picked on a lot. We couldn't get away with anything. Um, and so that really, I, I just didn't like that. And the other one was freedom. I just wanted to be free, to do whatever I want without somebody looking over my shoulder and going, you're going to go to hell for that. You know, um, people wouldn't literally say that, but the remarks referred to, well, if you do that, you're sinning, which sends you to hell. And so, um, I, I just wanted to be free. I just wanted to be able to do whatever I want. Cause I was a very rebellious teenager. I partied, I drank, I, um, listened to music. I, you know, I was like, able to hide all like while you were there while you were, while, living the community. yeah, while I was in the, so Amish teenagers are just like any other teenagers. <laughs> Um, we, we like to, to, uh, try things that, that, you know, is forbidden and is not allowed. Right. But it, I mean, even in that rebellious stage, in my mind, you know, this is my fault that I'm in this position because I'm the one doing wrong. Right. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? You know what? I'm just going to leave for a couple of years and try it, right? Try a different life. And of course, in my imagination, that life was perfect and there was never any problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which that's not true, but yeah. Um. So in the intro, I said American dream, not really what is known as the American dream, but just something different was what you were chasing. So how, how did you leave? Did you leave at night? Did you just leave? Hey, I'm out of here and, and, and left in front of everybody or what was that? No. So I didn't tell anybody in the community that I was leaving. I didn't tell us, tell a single person. One of the reasons for that was I didn't want somebody to know that might be trying to convince me not to do it. I had said my heart on this is what I'm going to do and nobody's going to talk me out of it. So I didn't want people to know. So they don't talk me out of doing what I had decided to do. 
And I had told a couple of people, two of my cousins that had already left the community. I told them because I needed their help. (laughs) And so uh, the day that I left, it was on a Sunday. We didn't have church that day. And uh, I told my sister, one of my sisters, who now also has left, my sister, Rebecca, she uh, I told her, hey, I'm going to I want to go on a walk just me and you. I don't want anyone else to go. And so we kind of, and and it was normal for us to go for walks on a Sunday. And so we just kind of snuck away, went for a walk and we walked like a mile to the back of my dad's property where there was a dead end road where I had asked my cousin to come pick me up. And I told her, and this was not a very nice thing of me to do. I would, if I could do it over, I'd do it differently. But, um, I told my sister, Hey, I'm not coming back with you. I'm leaving. And she was devastated. She, she did not, she tried to talk me out of it. Um, but, and she had wanted to leave too, but she was too young at that time. And so how old would she have been? She was, so I was 18. She was, uh, 16. Yeah. And so, the problem that I created was she had to go back to my family and had to face them without me and have to give answers to, well, why did she leave? And why did you not bring her back with you? Which was really, really hard for her. And it, yeah, just in another sense, I probably wouldn't do that again. Um, Cause I know it was difficult for her, but anyways, my cousin came, picked me up and then uh, he helped me get a bus ticket. He helped me, get some non-Amish clothes, um, uh, him and his sister who had both left. So, you know, I didn't want to get on the bus by myself in Amish clothes. So changed into non-Amish clothes, got on the bus and went to Minnesota where another one of my cousins was. And he helped me with getting a job and getting my social security number, all, all the, cause I didn't have anything. I had no documents. I had no birth certificate, so I had to get all of that stuff and and he helped me with that. Well, um, did you guys, you guys obviously had a phone then to, for you to set up, to be picked up or how did you? Actually, I didn't. Um, I had, I had a phone before, but my dad found it and destroyed it. So I never saw that again. And so I went to my neighbor's house that had a phone and they, I asked them, Hey, can I use your phone? And of course they were like, yeah, no problem. So, uh, I a, used non, my neighbor, a non-Amish neighbor. Yeah. The non-Amish neighbor's house and called them, let them know, uh, asked them to help me. So why? Okay. So you went to Minnesota cause you had another cousin there. Yes. Um, and so he helped you get a job and, and then where, where did you live? What did, what was that part of your life like? Yeah. Well, first I lived with my cousin. I, uh, stayed on the couch the first month and just kind of help there. Cause I couldn't get a job right away without my social security number. I had to wait for that to come. So, uh, and then I met one of my other cousins. She's a second cousin to me. Never met her before in my life, met her through my cousin, one of his connections. And I ended up moving in with her, helping take care of her daughter. And I got a job at Culver's. For those that are from the Midwest, we have Culver's. Um, what is that? It's a it's a family restaurant. Uh, it's fast food, a fast food family restaurant, and they sell burgers, your American burgers. <laughs> okay. um, 
Yeah. It, and so I, I w- that was my job the first. Oh, how long did I work there? It was, it was a while. That was my first job. And that helped me. I ended up going to school to get my GED. I don't honestly remember anything I learned from my GED. The first year of me leaving is a lot of it is like a blur. It was so drastically different. It I had extreme culture shock. Um, it, it, it just, everything was just so different and trying to figure everything out. Um, I don't know. I think my brain just blocked some of it out, hmm. honestly. Did you, uh, okay. So then what, what brought you to North Dakota from there? Jesus. Okay. So that's now, now let's get, yeah, let's get into that. So, yeah. so you had left that, that community and whatever, did you actually believe in God when you left? I, yes. I always believed in God. I didn't believe in a good God and a, mm, yeah, I believed in God, but I didn't know who he was, basically. So what what happened that made you, like, did you get into partying and stuff when you were in Minnesota as well? Yes, um, I continued the party life. Um, when there was a party, I was there. I drank a lot. I was snuck into bars, fake ID, all that stuff. Um, and I had different relationships and then towards like the last eight months of those two years, I was there for two years. The last eight months of those two years, I had a, a boyfriend who ended up being an alcoholic. Um, and that was just really, really rough. And I lost all sense of my identity, confidence, whatever you name it. And at the end of those two years is when I just was like, what am I doing? My life is not what I thought it would be. This is not the life I dreamed of like this is the american dream right (laughs) um i'm like i this is not what i expected so you know i had a good job i was making a decent amount of money i had my own car i had everything like that looking from the outside it was great but i was broken i was lost and i was hurting and i wanted to figure out you know what why do I feel like this? And why, why am I so, I guess you could say broken. And that's when I started searching when I start, and I had, I had heard the gospel before and I, I heard what, you know, cause for the first time I heard it in English and I understood what Jesus did for me and why, why he did what, for me, what he did and that I needed him. I heard that. I understood it. I accepted it but my life didn't change. I didn't change my lifestyle. I didn't change anything I was doing. I went home and everything was the same. And so I'm just like, okay, well, that was fun. Um, how did you hear it? End- Sorry. How did you hear the gospel? Did you go to a church oh, yeah. service with somebody or how did you hear it? Well, actually I went to a conference. I was invited by a friend to go to this big conference and it was a three day weekend conference. And on a Sunday morning, they did a church service. Okay. And on that Sunday morning, they explained the gospel and for the first time. I was like, wow, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I need. But then when nothing changed, I questioned it again. Like, okay, I guess God is just this religious God who's waiting for me to do something wrong so that he can punish me. That was my whole perception of Christ, of God. 
And so, um, you know, at the end of those two years, I was just so lost and I'm like, something has to change. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected it to be. So in my search, in my pursuit of going, okay, there's got to be another way. How do I find it? What do I do? And I had, I had actually gone back to my parents' house. I went back Amish for a couple months because I thought, well, I guess this didn't work. So maybe the Amish are right. Maybe that is the way to live. And maybe God is not happy with me here. Maybe he wants me to be Amish. And so at that point, I just wanted to please God. I just wanted to to know what that would look like and what that is. So I went back and pretty soon I'm like, this is not it either. This is, this can't, this can't be it. And so I called a pastor who had it actually had connected with in, in uh, Minnesota. And I said, Hey, I want to do what's, what is right, but I'm really torn between these two worlds. Like, do you have to be Amish? Cause I want to please my parents and I want to do what is right. But is there another way? I was really torn between the two worlds. And then he explained the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Jesus actually talks about tradition and religion and he actually rebuked them for it. And so he opened up my eyes to a whole new Jesus, if you will, you know, of no, he doesn't put us in bondage and he doesn't require us to follow all of these rules to be righteous. You know, and the interesting thing is the Amish will preach all day long and say, if you claim to be righteous, it is sin. But at the same time, they will work so hard for their righteousness and say, well, if you follow all these rules, then maybe you are righteous. So it's very contradicting, you know, but it was in that in that phone call where I said, okay, this is it. I don't have to be Amish. I'm going to leave again. And that's when I went to North Dakota. My best friend that I had met in Minnesota lived in North Dakota. And on my way to North Dakota, I made a commitment between me and God. And I said, God, I don't know who you are. I don't even know if I believe you're good. But I want to know who you are. I want to know if you have a plan for my life, if you have a purpose for my life, like people claim you do, then... I need you to show me. I was so desperate. And he did. <laughs> God answered my prayer. Um, I As soon as I got to North Dakota, I went to, to a church there, found a church. I mean, the first church God brought me to, they were amazing. This, the pastor and his wife took me in like their daughter. They, they um, discipled me. They, they walked, you know, in discipline with me, in teaching me, you know, the the Bible. That's when I first opened, started opening up my own Bible and reading for myself what the Bible says. And that's what I tell everybody is you can sit in church all day long and listening to somebody explain to you the word, but until you pick that Bible up yourself and read it for yourself, it's not going to be the same. Like the way it comes alive to you when you read it yourself is so different than if you just listen to somebody else's interpretation. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. While you were driving, did you, did you experience uh, uh, anything? Like, did you experience something tangible or or a feeling of love or warmth? Or was it just that things started to unfold as you got to North Dakota? Like, yeah, I didn't found this place. I didn't really have an encounter there. I didn't have any, I didn't, you know, experience until, so, uh, 
fast forward a little bit, my first experience that I had a tangible encounter with the Lord was actually on my first missions trip. <laughs> um, so, you know, this was the end of 2014. I moved to North Dakota. I started my relationship with Jesus and, oh, I was so invested. I read my Bible every day. I journaled. I was so, inf- I'm like, wow, I finally found something that gives me hope that give me, that's giving me that joy that I was looking for. I'm like, this is it. This is what I have been looking for my whole life. And so, you know, that peace that you just can't receive from anything else, not religion, not the world. Um, it, everything else is just, uh, what do you call it? Um, a fake representation of it, of the real peace and the joy that you can receive from Jesus. So I, it it took me like a year probably. And I heard about missions, my first time hearing about missions and knowing anything about it. And I'm like, oh, that's something I want to do. I would love to go on missions. And I kind of forgot all about the, well, other countries are bad. Like, who cares? I want to go. I want to experience this. And so in, I think it was the end of 2016, I had an opportunity, but by the time I got involved, the team was already full. So I said, oh, okay, not this time. I didn't give up. I'm like, no, I still want to do this. And then by the following year in 2017, I had an opportunity to go to the Philippines for a year, for um, uh, two weeks. And I said, yes, I immediately was like, yes, I want to do this. And so on this mission trip, I remember so in the Philippines, you can do open air crusades. You can, um, so we would do a concert type of crusade every night in a different village. Hundreds of people would come forward to say yes to Jesus. And they were just hungry for, for, uh, for Jesus. So one night, this is probably like the fifth night in where, where everybody's coming forward, raising their hands, surrendering to Jesus. And I'm kind of off to the side. I'm looking over this crowd of people and I'm going, wow, God, you really love these people. You know, you know where they've been, you know what they've done, but you love them. Like you came here tonight for them. And as I'm thinking that, as I'm like processing that in my brain, I heard him say, I love you just the same. <laughs> wow. And I went, wait, what? Really? Like you, you love me like that, Jesus. And I felt the tangible presence of God. And I said, wow, God is really a good father. And I didn't grow up, you know, knowing that type of love because in my mind, I've done so many bad things. How could a good God love someone like me? And, but having that encounter and experiencing that, I felt so close to the father. And I realized for the first time, wow, he loves me just for me. Like he loves me just because he loves me. (laughs) Um, and so I, I realized, you know, I don't have to try to be good. I don't have to follow a whole bunch of rules and I don't have to do all these things in order for him to say, I love you. It was just in that moment, in that split second in history, he showed me, I love you. Wow. And yeah, it, it was amazing as my first, first encounter and being in the mission field, 
Um, and if that's why God brought me there just to show me that, then great. But I believe it was to also pull me into the purpose that he had for my life, because now that's my whole life is missions. It was, I just knew coming home from that trip that I have to do this again. I have to go again. I know I'm going to go again. And I planned in my mind, okay, in a year from now, I'm going to go back to the Philippines and do the same thing. Well, God also had plans. <laughs> by this was June of 2017. By February of 2018, I was back in the Philippines again for two weeks. And then coming home from that trip, God opened the doors for me to go for a whole year. Uh, so by October of 2018, not even a year later, I'm back in the Philippines to live there for a whole year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And, and, you know, for everyone listening, not that it's not that it's about a tangible feeling, but there is an encounter, right? The personal Jesus, there's an encounter that we have, or we can have with him that, that makes our belief real, that makes that connection, that personal Jesus, that relationship that's, you know, that satisfies and fills our heart. Yes. Um, did you these trips, was it with a, was, was, was it with a church organization or was it with a ministry or what, what was the organization that originally brought you to the Philippines and back again? Yeah, it was with an organization. So the organization is called church multiplication coalition. Okay. Which, uh, is what James is working with now. Yeah. Um, so they, they go to all they're in, I think they're now in over 80 different countries where they're a church planting movement, disciple making movement. And so what they do is they go to areas, their goal is to plant a church where there is no church in planting churches in villages that don't have any. And so they go to these areas, partner with, with uh, churches. So they'll partner with the local churches and train them up to, to learn how to share the gospel effectively, how to make disciples and how to do church planting. And so, um, you know, the first two times I went, I didn't really know anything about that. All I knew is, um, that they were sharing the gospel basically, but ultimately I was just one of the things that they use. If, if I can say that to expand in that specific area we were in, so they would host teams to first they would they would train the church they would equip them and they would prepare them for the harvest that's another big thing i think we need we're lacking today is preparing the church for the harvest you yeah. know um and so they would, they would all do all of that before the team from america would arrive and then when we got there it was just time to go to work and so we would help them sharing the gospel in their area whether it was um going into schools, going out on the street, doing market evangelism. And then every night, the the nightly concert crusades that we did. And then once we leave the church, they give the church the responsibility to follow up. They're the ones that are going to lead the Bible studies. They're the ones that are going to follow up with the people who didn't come to the Bible study. They are the ones to make sure that those that didn't receive a Bible while we were there are going to receive a Bible. And so you're giving locals the responsibility to continue the work. We can come spark a fire, but they're going to continue the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we talk about where you're going and, and 
what what's changed in your life in the last week or so. Um, you said after a couple of years, you went back to your parents. How, how were you in contact with them in those two years? And how did they receive you when you went back and your siblings? Yeah, I, they write letters. My, and even to this day, my mom writes a letter, le- writes letters to me a lot. So we can still write letters. They, they still communicate in that way. And the rules are a little less strict because I wasn't a member of the church. Okay. And so in some, some families are also, also, it depends from family to family. You can't just bunch them all together from, for one specific community, because I know a family who is from the exact same church that I am. And they, they told their kids, don't bother coming home if you're not going to stay. But my dad never said that. He lets us come home to visit for, of course, we are, he kind of have has still has his rules. I think it's it's the idea of a form of control. Yeah, you don't live here anymore, but I'm still gonna enforce rules so that I feel like I'm controlling you. Um, and so you know you can stay here for a certain amount of hours. You can't stay here overnight. Uh, this is what we want you do to do when you come here. Like dress Amish, dress. Make sure you dress like we do. Don't bring your phone in the house. Don't park your car on the driveway. All this kinds of stuff. But he still lets me come visit. He still lets me and my sister come and visit them. Um, but it's not the same. It's you feel like an outsider. Mm. It, it, it it's really interesting because in their mind, the worse they treat us, the more likely we are to gonna come want to come back. Yeah. Which is totally like the more you treat me with love and and compassion, the more I'm gonna want to come back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but it's just their way of of thinking, I guess. Um, and I'm sorry, um, your sister that left was it the sister that you went for the walk with? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I don't think I mentioned she did end up leaving six months later. She also left and um, her name is Rebecca Hope. She has, she's written a book um, called Beyond the Brokenness. So uh, if you guys want to hear a little bit about that and, and just, you know, she, she did a really great job and she's working on another book. She's an author. Um, very, very inspired by her. So proud of her. She's, she's doing really amazing. She's married now. Um, she's doing really great. Where, where is she living? She lives in Tennessee. Oh, okay. Now, do so. your parents, do your parents know what you're doing? Like as far as yeah. ministry goes and do they know that you've had this encounter with Jesus and it's, and it's changed your heart and your life? Are they aware of that? I don't think I ever shared with them that encounter with Jesus. Um, but I do tell them, Hey, I'm going here. Whenever I go somewhere, I let them know where I'm going. Uh, and so that's also an interesting part. Like my mom was really scared for me, <laughs> of course, you know, cause they still have this mindset of, well, what if you get killed or what if something happens to you? These are bad places. Right. But I tried to, I like, I would tell them the miracles I saw. You know, a a lame person is able to walk, blind eyes are open, deaf ears are open. Like I shared those kinds of testimonies in my letters, but they never acknowledge them. Mm. Uh, Yeah, they don't. They're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Okay. And they don't say like, oh, my goodness, wait, Jesus can do that. Like, it's not a 
almost like an awe and wonder of it. They just go, well, you're still not living Amish. You're still living a wrong life. I don't care how many, what kind of ministry or how much ministry you do, you're not Amish. So therefore you're wrong. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so now you're recently now a full-time missionary. So yeah. who, who are you, who are you with and tell us where you're going? Yeah. So I'm still with the same group that I went with the very first time church multiplication coalition, which they're the president of the, the organization lives in Santa Rosa, California. And, um, so there were two, two guys that started this, this group, which was, uh, a pastor from the Philippines and a pastor from here in California. They went to India on a, on a trip there and God gave them a vision. They came back, started it. And now I think that started in 2006 and it's going stronger today than it's ever been over 80 countries. They're very, very effective in what they do. And I believe the reason they're so effective is because they believe in giving the locals responsibility. And so it's like when you, when you give someone responsibility over an area, they, they put a lot more passion into it. They, they take, hold it as, well, this is mine and I'm going to take care of it. And so they've really done that. Well, I think, um, I, I can't give you numbers cause I don't know them off the top of my head, but they've planted thousands of churches made, you know, seeing over, over a million people coming to the Lord. So I'm really excited to, to move forward and continue to partner with them. So I'm, I'm not like considered, I don't know. I don't know what, what you would call me one of their missionaries. I just partner with them in, in the places that I go and basically use their strategy, use their model. And wherever I go, uh, they're, they're, my connections are through them. They've, you know, when I went to Ethiopia, I was connected with a pastor there that they've been working with for a few years. And so moving forward, going into full-time missions, which it's been my dream. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm, I'm very excited for God's favor on that area of my life in just moving forward and finally taking that big step of, Hey, I'm going into full-time missions. It's been interesting. It's been hard, but at the same time, I have so much peace about it, so much excitement and joy that I get from when the idea of it. And so uh, right now I'm on my way to Dubai. I'll be there for about a week to do a conference with, to be a part of a conference with CMC. And then from there, I'm going back to the Philippines. I'm so excited. It's been, I haven't been there since COVID. So <laughs> um going back there for a week, for a month, the month of February. And then from there, I'm going straight to Ethiopia again for probably three months. That's exciting. Yeah. I have positive envy if that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been to either of those places. I've had an opportunity to travel quite a bit too. And so I, I totally know in my heart, um, your joy in that and, you know, and what you're going to see. Um, that's really, really great. Um, Sarah, do you, um, do you, you have a couple minutes after we wrap up this? Cause I'd really like to, to pray for you, for your family. And that when you come back, that, uh, 
that you have opportunities to share this with your family. That would be great. Yeah. I just feel it really heavy on my heart right now, maybe because I'm a dad with a daughter, but the fact that you're, you know, your parents have you come back and even though it's weird, you're still the daughter, right? And Christ is all about reconciliation. I just want to pray for that reconciliation for you, for your family. Cause I really, I really believe like the enemy it's, it's distraction for everybody, whether you're Amish or whether you're an atheist or whether you're a hyper religious Christian of the, the enemy, just wanting to not allow people to realize the intimacy that you can have with the father. Cause with that intimacy comes freedom and identity, right? Amen. Yes. Oh my goodness. So much freedom. Yeah. So yeah, God has really shown me that they have, they have this veil over their eyes. You, you read about Paul's experience. He had scales over his eyes and I really believe they have this, these, this veil over their eyes where they just can't see past the religion. They can't see past the tradition of what they've always, always been taught. And the enemy's using that to hold them in bondage and, and keep them in that. Yeah. Like in that bondage and saying, no, you can't go past this and you can't do anything else. You're going to have to stay here. And there's no joy in it. There's no, and I have great, awesome testimonies of people who received Jesus in the Amish community and everything changed for them so much so that people within the community said, what happened to you? And if they say, well, Jesus, I, I under, I understand, I received Jesus and understand what he did for me. They get shunned. They get excommunicated. Mm. So it's, Oh, my heart. I, I might go to all the world to different places, but my heart is really, really close to this community. And I, I've committed to praying for them and God gives me opportunities to share. I take them. Yeah. And, you know, as you talked about, uh, a sea of Filipinos worshiping or coming to the Lord or giving their lives to the Lord and you seeing God's love for them, it's, mm-hmm. it's, as you said that, or as we're talking, it's like, I can picture a sea of Amish people and God loves them. Right. On Um, your sister, Rebecca, has she experienced what you've experienced? Yeah. She, she got baptized before I did actually. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she, she knows the Lord. She actually did a missions trip with me to the Philippines. Um, And so she's experienced the mission field as well. And, but yeah, she, and her book is amazing. She really writes her story well in, in that book. Cause she, she struggled with a lot more, like she struggled with depression, suicide, different things like that. And so, yeah, that girl's come overcome a lot of things. Awesome. (laughs) So thank you for chatting with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. And bless you on your upcoming travels. Uh, Say hello to James. Yes, of course. Um, And I have one more question for you, Sarah. So as you were picked up on a back road by somebody, because you wanted to get out, Mm -hmm. if you were to receive that phone call from somebody that you knew, but you knew they, they didn't know Jesus the way you do, but you go to pick them up and you know, they just want to get out and experience, you know, the life 
that, that they perceive, what, what would you say to them as they get in the car and you begin to drive knowing that you're going to drop them off somewhere and that's the end of your contact with them for whatever reason? I think I would ask questions more than I would say things uh, because I believe when you ask the right questions, it causes people to think whether they know the answer on the spot or not, it can cause them to start thinking, well, what about this? Okay. Uh, And of course I would share the gospel with them. That's like, I don't care who you are. I am going to share the gospel with you and talk about the importance of discipleship because I didn't have that. Discipleship is so, so important. And yeah, I would just encourage them that, yes, you can do it. And there's more to religion or there's more to Jesus than religion. And God loves you and he wants to be your father. Amen. Thanks a lot, Sarah. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah, you're welcome. Bless you too. Friends, if you want to follow Sarah, you can follow her along on Facebook. And her Instagram handle is Amish to Missionary. And we'll have these in the liner notes. Such a great story what it means when you pick up your Bible and actually read it, read his word and such truth that when you have questions, if you knock, if you seek, you will find the truth and the truth will set you free.